What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I am your host, Blake Law. This is episode 39. That is 3-9 of the podcast, and we are very happy you were able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event, and we're going to have them break down their mistakes, break down that loss, and tell us how they plan to learn from it moving forward. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? How often have you done it? Are you tired of LVO coverage yet? Well, this is our last week of it, so enjoy this fleeting moment. This is a unique episode, one that I am deeming the Alaska episode. A quick a quick point of clarification for all you obscure state noobs out there. AK is the USPS abbreviation for Alaska. AR is the USPS abbreviation for Arkansas. And AZ is the US. P.S. abbreviation for Arizona. So please stop shipping me packages to the same address in Arizona and Alaska. Anyway, our episode is once again about demons, unbroken loves chaos. So here we go again. Now, this is part one of the episode. So in this part, we will be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes. We'll be talking about the mission, the secondaries, the target priority, and all that good stuff. In part two, we will be deep diving into strategy and adjustments the player plans to make we will talk about how it plays into a shooting list your list every list out there we'll be talking about list adjustments new strategies and don't forget about that elite player mindset my co-host today i would deem an absolute newcomer to 2022 he has won approximately zero events this year and this podcast is once again his big chance to make it big Let's recap what he did in the distant past. He is the winner of the 2021 Michigan GT, a nine-time member of Team USA. He won Adepticon Infinity times a million. He is a three-time top eight LVO finisher. He is the 2021 Armed Forces GT champion. He is the 2021 ACO champion. He's a runner-up at Games Workshop New Orleans in 2021. He is the prime minister for the time being of Canada because he won the Studs and Snotlings 2021 GT, Mr. Bradchester. You know, I take some time off again, and this is what happens. I get these young kids just jumping all over me, giving me some crap. I've been good since the beginning of time, boy. I was fighting the old ones. They were me. <laughs> I just wipe my memory. Come come LVO, my memory is completely wiped. If anything you've ever done, I'm just like, show me what you got, Brad. Sh- show me. Show me what exactly. you got. I've played in zero tournaments since then. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I want to start the hype train right now, though. I want to play you in teams at Adepticon because it kind of feels like the good guys versus the bad guys. It's like the moment 40K needs. Like I'm like the, the hero, me and John Lennon, and you're going to show up and be like, like, like the bad. There's going to be like a b- bad guy, like guitar riff that comes in when you walk in with your team. And uh, it's going to be a real show. Oh, 80s jean jackets on looking <laughs> like an old movie. <laughs> no, that's it's going to be great. Uh, you're going to lose, though. So just uh, buckle in. I got John Lennon. I can't lose the boy king. Sad. You're probably not even going to do enough hobby stuff, bro. Do you know Adepticon has a composite score? Just letting you know before we start. Uh, I'm the hobby king, man. I don't know. I, I You can't see behind me, but there's this mega board that's 
beyond what anyone who has ever seen at Adepticon, and it's going to blow your mind. So, uh, yeah, we're not losing there. I'll tell you that. Do we have a do we have a guest this week? Oh, are oh, we yeah, just talking? I, we do. I don't know. I'll just I got to talk some smack. Our guest today is proof that every man dies, but not every man truly lives. He was top three in the ITC for Chaos Demons in 2020. He was top of his faction for Chaos at LVO 2022. He slayed me in round three of LVO this year. You could take his life, but you can never take his freedom. William Wallace of O'Donnell. Hi, guys. Well, I love everything that's happening here. Yeah, I just had to. Uh, <laughs> I had to give you a little bit of that. That's, of course, some. Uh, William Wallace for some flair, some Braveheart for those who are probably too young to have seen that movie. But go watch it. It's a great movie. I mean, he is fighting the yeah. Night King right now because yeah. he's so far in the north. He's beyond <laughs> the wall. For sure beyond the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in I'm in the uh I'm in the uh like woods up here. So uh had to take three flights to get to LVO. That was pretty fun. That's solid. <laughs> Do you ever get things shipped to uh, like Arkansas or Arizona, particularly Arkansas? Is that a problem for you? Yes, it is. In fact, a lot of times uh, shipping companies don't consider Alaska part of the U.S., so they won't even send us boxes. They'll say we're in the U.S. and then they'll have like asterisk there that says continental. And we're not considered continental despite being part of the continent. So I started the job uh, when I started a job. Uh, they had like this blast out that for like all my background, they're like. He attended the University of Alaska. I'm like, what do you, what, where'd y'all get that? They're like, AK, that, or AR, that's uh, Alaska, right? And I was like, uh, no, man, that's Arkansas. What are you talking about? Like, uh, it's absolutely wild. I get it all the time. It's a real problem. But Makes sense. Let's jump right into <laughs> it, man. What'd you think about LVO this year? This is your first or second LVO? Third LVO? This is first LVO. Um, so every year I would always say, yeah, guys, I'm going to go this year and then uh, would not be able to for some reason, whether it was work or life or whatever. Um, so this was my first year of going and it actually happened kind of spur of the moment. Um, I was about it was How like do you two spur weeks of the moment from Alaska. I need, exactly. to, I need to know no, this no. now. So it's like two weeks out of LVO. I had bought tickets, but I had been so busy. I totally forgot about it. Hadn't really been playing much like 40k in ninth edition i was really about it in eighth and uh my friend mike from warpammer he just messaged me one day and he's like hey i'm going to lvo uh do you want to come because i think he kind of last minute planned his trip and his uh, last minute yeah it's for the moment from alaska and i was like cool sounds good and he's like great uh, lists are due in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we got this madness list that we're going to talk about here shortly. This is crazy Bellacour, Armon, slash chaos nonsense. Let the man tell his list. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. I want to hear one more thing. I want, to, I want you to tell me a little bit about this Alaska meta because I'm sure I, everyone I, listening. Why, I want you to know that Blake is a serial thunder stealer so he'll try to steal your thunder as much as he can i don't know if he's harvesting it putting in bottles what he's doing but he was trying to steal your list thunder right there they uh they they have a big bottle that says thunder be the thunder and i just store it over here and i just steal people's thunder every episode put it in there i'm I'm gonna unleash it one of these days it's gonna be the best episode we put out but tell me about this alaska meta i want to know about it so alaska meta is really weird um because we have 10 whole people that live in the state pretty much and uh, about half of them play 40k um and of those half of them there's some pretty good players up here um for a long time you know we had 
Danny McDevitt, who's kind of well known at Grim After Dark. Um, he was our local Eldar player. Um, we had Tim, and Tim went five one at LVO a few years back, just bringing Lord of Skulls, just the three Lord of Skulls <laughs> spam. Um, so the meta I had to deal with was a bunch of weirdos that knew how to play very obscure things well. Um, so because of that, I became a weirdo that knows how to play obscure things very well. And it shows in my list building, because if you look at my list, one thing you'll notice is a thread that connects all of the pieces as disjointed as they are, is they're all very good at move blocking things. Yes, I can attest. You move blocked me for like <laughs> three turns. I was like, this is fantastic. I can't get out of my deployment zone. You're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So I'll so, tell you, Wallace is also a very meticulous measure and fantastic. It was it was the best I've ever been blocked out ever. I was like, I can't do anything. Well done. Perfect blade. So tell us I about this list, man. Roll, roll into this list. Let's hear about it. So, okay. Context is three hours to build a list, right? And since I haven't been as engaged with ninth edition, I understood the core of it. Like I did a big faction review a while back because I won like a, um, we had a grim resolve grand tournament up here. That was a, it was a iron man. So, all the games one day and i played a narrative nurgle list and it was all about just nurglings and move blocking and stopping my opponent from doing objectives so i had a lot of experience doing that one thing so i'm like let's run it back let's try it again um so when i was designing my list one thing i was thinking about is how can all of my pieces maybe not be the best pieces but be things that help one another do well at what i'm trying to do um, which is a really convoluted way of saying, I just wanted everything to kind of have a generic synergy. And that generic synergy was forward deployment. So I picked a giant nine brick of nerglings because I was really comfortable with using those. I knew I could use it well, and I knew that it would catch a lot of people off guard or beat people that weren't very prepared in playing against it. Um, I brought two other three base nergling squads to kind of just forward deploy and immediately secure me control of the board. And uh, I was flipping through the Thousand Suns book, and uh, they have a pretty cool 2CP stratagem. Um, I think it's called Risen Rubrique, and it allows you to forward deploy your uh, your Rubric Marines. And uh, that seemed pretty interesting. I was like, well, now I have Nerglings, and I have Nerglings wearing power armor. So seemed like a good natural synergy there. Plus, because your Nerglings kind of base block everybody, they protect the rubrics, so they're allowed to just kind of sit there and shoot people. That was the idea, at least. Um, then I asked Mike, because again, he's the one who invited me to this whole thing. Hey, what are like three of the best chaos models? Um, and one of the ones he listed was Aramnon. And uh, so I was like, okay, cool. That fits perfectly. I'll bring Aramnon, I'll bring some rubrics, and then I'll bring things that I think are pretty good. So I brought Bellacor and then my uh, kind of what I call my Super Soaker Mortal Wound uh, Laser Chicken. I got the Lord of Change and I kitted him out so he does a bunch of Mortal Wounds and I gave him all the Mortal Wounds powers. Um, so I figured if I, you know, got some experience playing with player place terrain beforehand, I got pretty good at it. Then I could uh, do well at the event just by kind of out positioning people. So pretty much leading up to the tournament, the only thing I practiced and we would just repeat game after game. Uh, with some of my friends, and Mike included, was to just do the setup, do the first turn, and then reset the board and do it over again. Um, 
And because of that, I got really comfortable at using player place terrain. And I feel like that was my one story of the event is I was able to use that effectively so that my pieces, even though the list as a cohesive doesn't seem like it will work well together, the pieces still do a good thing. So like your bad list can still do good things. And sometimes those good things win you games. Um, And that felt rewarding because the theory crafting of it kind of worked, even though the individual parts of it don't seem like they fit quite well together. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's a cool idea. It's a cool list. It's a unique list, which I think is always a cool thing to see. All I'm saying right now is why did we not talk about the fact that you got five spawn and 20 horrors in here? Why are we not giving them some love of sitting on the sideline right now, getting no talk from me? Why do you treat these models so bad? Like, we need well, to call someone. And You're 285 abusing- summon points. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had all the summoning points too. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other part of the conversation is in all of the play, as much as I gave talk to the rubrics and the nerd lanes and they did the thing where I'm like, okay, I deploy forward. Big brain idea there. Um, the honest truth is the best models I had in my list were the ones I did not start on the table. Um, summoning absolutely proved itself to be the best component of my list. Um, I liked the, the mechanic before, and now I'm just completely sold on it. The pinks being able to split is amazing. You can do so many crazy move block shenanigans or catch people off guard by just how you split your models. And that was big in almost every game I played. Um, being able to summon unique characters to the board, unique powers to the board, um, was also tremendous. There were times in which my Bellacore even would stand still just so I would have a character with um, like a Nurgle mark to summon for me, which actually happened in the Manny game. Um, and uh, the the big selling point on the horrors to me was just like I needed anchors for my back objectives that could also like do weird stuff. And they did. <laughs> yep, they do weird things, definitely. So you yep. were 4-0, you won your first four, you went into round five, you played Manny Chima with his mm-hmm. monstrosity, a bazillion rack list. And uh, Brad, run us through what Manny took to LVO. Hold on, this will t- won't take me very long. Fights fights last Archon. Succubus, competitive edge, trip tech whip, Drazar with full rerolls, homoculus to give people T5 and heal people up. A court of the Archon with four and four and 170 racks. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to go over a lot of things. No, I, I could go over them individually and line by line, but uh, he's got 170 racks. Tell me about each of these racks individually, please. I want you to run down their names and you, cause you know, uh, man did more for all of them. First, uh, first unit, Steve, Bill, John, Teddy. Perfect. <laughs> and just repeat. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really puts up thought to this list. A lot of love. Um, but Tell us what mission you met Mr. Manny on. It was round five. <laughs> so that was Battle Lines, I believe. It was indeed. And what, what secondary did you pick going Ah, I'm trying to steal my thunder there. You're I still, was. So, still- Battle Lines is a weird one because I was hoping for more objectives because I think like more objectives would have made for a more interesting game. Uh, we po- kind of played a game of move things on, push things off, like on those two middle objectives. And that's where the whole of the game was had. Uh, But because of that, it played more like a chess match than a 40K game because it was all movement oriented. There was not a lot of like crazy dice up 
stuff happening or crazy psychic shenanigans. It was moving things onto the midfield and then pushing them off. Um, I did something I hadn't done all tournament two, with two separate things. Um, and one of them was a mistake. Mistake was not forward deploying my rubric Marines. This is the one game I decided not to do that. Um, I thought I would need the CP more to do like fight twice uh, with Bellacor. And um, so I decided to deploy them back and then walk them up the table. Um, I get where I was coming from, but I kind of overthought that. And that was the theme of that game as I kind of thunk myself out of a win in a way. Um, the other thing I did that was completely different was I made the decision to not put my nerglings right on his line um, when I deployed. And uh, in terms of my secondaries, I just took kill his characters, kill his racks, engage on all fronts. So that would be assassinate. Uh, um, what's the one called where you kill a bunch of dudes? No, no prisoners. No prisoners. And okay, and engage. Sweet. Uh, did you? Did you? Well, we'll go over. I guess we'll go over this in the second part. In the Bradning, I already the, have questions. The Brad <laughs> hour, the Brad, the Mad Brad hour, or the Bradning, whatever you want to call it. So I figured I would be able to use like Bellacor and summon in some flamers and use my um, rubrics to clear enough racks that killing things made sense. Um. I figured I could target out enough characters and secure the assassinate. And then I felt like engage would be a pretty solid, like 12 for me, um, that game. So there was some arguments to maybe have ta taken like, um, uh, Octarius data instead, but it was going to be hard for me to get any models back there in his board quadrant. Cause the way he, um, just has so many dang racks. For Manny's secondaries, I mean, he he took a lot of like contesting objectives, and then the classic Drakari's like, uh, I get points for every board quadrant you're not in thing. Yeah, he took herd. I'm assuming. So yeah, <clears throat> that's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so it felt like I, I was pretty confident he was going to do well on his secondary picks. I just had to try to deny him the midfield as long as possible. Um, so yeah, that was my secondary choices for that one. I am mostly happy with how they worked out. I think I would have swapped one of them. When you look across the board at Manny and you see his list, do you feel like that's a bad matchup for you? Um, I felt like every matchup I had at that tournament was a bad matchup for me until I played it. And then it felt better. And, uh, I saw that list. I'm like, Oh, this is going to suck. And then I, like I said, I kind of overthought it. Um, I made a lot of... I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk about the mistakes you made, because I felt like I played a pretty tight game up until this round, and then I felt like both him and I, and he even said this, we both played really messy that game. We made tons of mistakes, and uh, mine were far more punishing in his, than his, because at the end of the day, he still had so many objective secured bodies. Well, start me uh, at the deployment and kind of walk me through the rounds and kind of, and then stop me and tell me where you think you made a mistake. So we can kind of go back and think about it. So, okay. First thing is I knew about the Archon throws the grenade, makes all of his guys be able to, um, move forward in his, uh, power from pain. 
And uh, I did not want him to be able to do the advanced and charge turn one. So I measured back to keep every single one of my Nurgling squads out of range. And I deployed my Nurglings last in order to do that. Um, so as soon as the Archon went down, I made this little aura of I'm not going to go here around the Archon. Um, I also, this is an area that could have potentially put me in a winning position right away. I positioned my Lord of Change right on the line as close as possible to the Archon um, so that I could fly him in a straight line. Because one uh, pretty critical but small mistake Manny made that game is he took the centerpiece of terrain that was his obscuring ruins, he turned it opposite, and he placed it like right on the line to obscure his characters. Um, the huge mistake he made there is he put a, one rack in front of his character models. So if I advanced on a four with my Lord of Change, I could have hit every single one of his characters and most of his rack squads with an Infernal Gateway, which with my Lord of Change would have been plus one mortal wound on top of that. Wouldn't have killed anyone, I don't think, right off the bat, but that plus like a bolt of well, change. The, the damage on it can take everybody down to one. So Yeah. 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 Because I had D3 plus one. If I rolled high enough and got the D6, I mean, that would have been a story right there. Um, so that was, uh, I think a pretty critical error he had made that I noticed right away. Um, and so I was positioning myself to go for that if I got the first turn. Um, and like I said, I kind of put my nerglings in this kind of U shape blocking one side of the table from him almost completely. And then, um, I put a squad of horrors so that it could advance up and take that other objective if I went first or try to push him off that objective with Bellacor and then put those horrors there at the following turn, if he went. So I was kind of thinking about what his first turn looked like more than I was thinking about what my first turn looked like overall. Um, both him and I spent a long time and we got really down to the clocks there by the end. Um, just like deep in the tank, thinking about exactly how he wanted to move it. Because like I said, everything was very positional. There was a lot of, individual plays that came down to like a half an inch of distance or a slight mistake on a pile-in. Who got first turn on this one? Luckily me. And that was where I was like feeling very confident because my Infernal Master gives me a lovely dice reroll. Um, and it can be on any dice, which is super powerful. Uh, I found that was very helpful in pretty much all of my games. So immediately, start with the Lord of Change, and I don't make the four up I needed to touch that terrain piece, even with the reroll. Sadly, I rolled a one into a two. Yeah. That was the bad of the game. Um, so I'll give myself that. That could have gone slightly better. Would have been huge. But good things made up for that. And then the second thing is, this is a more of a comment on like 40k in general. This was a huge mistake as well. I moved my nerglings forward, walked them five, because my plan was I had a nine-man brick of nerglings all of his racks are like on this one line, eight inches back. I'm going to um, just charge and tie up all the rack squads in combat. And um, racks are really bad into nerglings. I don't know if you've thought that one through, but your poison weapons wounding my nerglings on a four is uh, not where you want to be. No, not <laughs> bad. Be Especially since this. you get your save and your funeral pain on it, too. Yes. <laughs> and uh, obviously. I'm going to warp surge those nerglings. So, uh, surprisingly, racks are one of the worst models in the game at killing nerglings. So, you have a huge volume. It's a dice bucket of attacks. 
but it did almost nothing. So um, I move my nerglings up. So I have a choice. I can take an eight inch charge with a reroll and try to tie up the squads, or I can advance and charge them with Sloppity Bile Piper. And that's my secret tech. And it had been in my box all tournament, and I really wanted to do it. And I shouldn't have, but I did. So I summoned Sloppity Bile Piper with Bellacore. So Bellacore stood still. And it allowed me to advance and charge my Nerglings and get like the perfect kind of wall set up to block off all of his guys. At first, I thought I would have Galaxy Brain played him with that move. But in retrospect, I, I, that was not a good play. I should have taken the 8-inch on the reroll. As a war gamer and as a human being, you want the most guaranteed outcome possible that you think will get you the closest to winning. But that causes us a lot of times to overlook what the highest estimated value play is at times. What is actually the highest win percentage play that you can take? I should have taken that 59% on the uh, 8-inch charge reroll because I still would have tied everything up and I would have conserved a lot of points for myself to summon a bigger unit of flamers or to I was just split about to more. say, man, I would have man, we'll talk more about that in part due, but that's, man. That's part two, the, yeah. For the sure. flamers would have been ooh, YOLO would swag. Been, yeah, would have been nasty. So uh that was one of my critical errors is I just gamed myself into being too worried about an eight-inch charge. I should have accepted it. I should have taken the play as is. It would have felt incredibly bad had I failed it. Um, but it was the highest win percentage play because obviously my list is not as strong as his. I was in a winning position if I had made that 8-inch charge and then summoned in the flamers and was able to clear them off those objectives. Um, but ultimately, yeah. Uh, sometimes as a war gamer, we have to just like be willing to accept that it is a dice game and sometimes we just have to do the odds. You can't, you can't have to... You don't, you don't need to always guarantee uh, the play. So I guaranteed the play with the Sloppity Bile Piper, bad use of like 65 points or whatever. Um, so I tied up all of his racks, and uh, that was the story of the first three turns. Um, I did uh, be, I was able to capitalize on a pretty huge mistake from him on turn two. He charged my Nurglings with Thrazar, who's very strong into Nurglings because of his multi-damage and volume of attacks and fight twice. But the way I had spaced them is he was base-to-base -base with one Nurgling base, and I spaced each base out by two inches in this like big line. Um, and so I knew that if I lost just two bases, he wouldn't be able to pile in and fight twice because the squad was too split up. He, his model physically couldn't do that, um, which caught him off guard um, because obviously I just pulled the two models. Um, when he went to swing, I mean, I, I can choose to take my armor save. Um, so, I mean, I lost two bases. He does his, you know, pile in maneuver. Um, and he's unable to sing with the Drazar. That was huge. And then I was able to nurgling infestation at the end of that round and get quite a few bases back. And, uh, because of that, it bought me one whole extra turn of him not being able to do much. Yes, he can fall back and charge. Um, but falling back and charging with just one unit wasn't giving him enough space to claim the midfield from me. So going into round three, I actually had a pretty commanding lead of the primary. Um, this is where that 65 points felt really bad, is that turn four and five, that's when the Nurgling wall broke, and then I got overwhelmed by the racks. 
Bellacor did his best chunking through as many squads as he could, but that's just not the same as having just a nine-man flamer squad sit there on an objective saying, please, charge me. I would love it if you charged me, um, which is what I should have been doing, and I should have just been taking squad out after squad out. Um, so around turn three, the game took a pretty bad uh, shift um, in Manny's favor. He was able to overwhelm me, and then I went from having denied him, and he'd only been scoring five all game, to him getting two turns of 15. Yeah. Um, we finished with almost no time left on the clock. I think I had 20 minutes. Um, at the end of round three, Manny had seven, so I don't imagine he would have had much left um, Like right towards the end, so we were really kind of on the line. And because of that, both him and I had made some bad, bad decisions. For instance, he swung into my pink squad um, when he didn't have to. He like piled an extra guys to swing in, and that allowed me to split enough models to keep an objective from him, that kind of stuff. Um, but overall, when it came to the end of it, my big mistake was I did not kill enough things and I wasn't able to, uh, chip away at his rack squads so that turn four and five, I could have had a more manageable, um, opportunity to kind of like clear him off those objectives because I ran out of firepower. It was my, my big limitation that game. Sweet. And that was, uh, expert recounting of a game. I, that was, that was one of the best we've had on here. I'm just going to tell you that that was great. Appreciate it. I thought about that one a lot because like, he was a big <laughs> player and his list does what my list does, but in a different way, like his list starts in his deployment, but then it's all about that like midfield. It's about that objective control. It's about moving your pieces forward and he plays the game in the movement phase. I mean, that that's both of what we were doing. Um, one other brain dead mistake I made that cost me big was I also had a 10 victory point swing because I left one of my um, pink horror bases on, dense terrain just ouch minus two movement i oh. barely couldn't make it onto an objective yikes um, yeah that's not good and with the game ending up i think it was like 64 84 i know it was his lowest scoring game that he won um that 10 victory points like that's that would have been huge that would have been um potentially like either tying the game up or giving me an opportunity to win um so there was a lot of us uh, both kind of playing a messier game because neither one of us was really comfortable playing the other. <laughs> mm. He was like, he was, th he was thinking about all the weird, goofy things I did. He knows everything about my thousand sun side, but he was like less confident on the demon stuff. And like, I summoned sloppity bile piper and he was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't either. Honestly, I was like, Oh, you make you advance in charge. Okay, cool. Like, uh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it's pretty sick. You can make a squad advance in charge. It's pretty Who, cool. But I wonder, uh, not who, the right who's carrying sloppity bile piper in their back pocket they're like hey let me just pull this painted sloppity out uh, he's coming out he's, gonna, he's gonna pull he's gonna pull mulch out next it's gonna roll down baby <laughs> you know i wish i could <laughs> well i think i think a lot of what we have left man is part two stuff brad brad has a lot of questions i see it in his eyes i'm looking at him. i'm so ready to <laughs> they're part fire. Two. i'm just letting this go i'm just like everything is so part two i'm gonna i'm gonna spiral into craziness right now I got one question for you, Wallace, for you in this episode, though. One of the things we ask everyone, how do you go about analyzing a game after you've lost? So you've lost a game. It's it's the end of the tournament. You're either going home, you're going to eat, whatever. How do you sit down and think about what did I do in this game and how can I fix it? So the answer to that is different based kind of on the context. In this game, Manny and I, we actually talked about it for about 30 minutes after the game. I mean, 
tremendous sportsmanship from him all game. Um, actually, from I, I would say both of us, I think we had a very um, sportsmanlike game. We talked through with intention a lot of things. He helped me move Maya models. I helped him move his at times um, just to keep us like under the clock. And um, I just like we to had a lot of things. Wallace just uh, <laughs> voted himself best sportsman real quick here. Yeah. Self-vote. Like it. Best in Alaska. I think, I, I think, I think we both did a good job of being like, okay, that was clear. We can go back on that. And that was great. Cause I didn't know what kind of experience it would be. I'd heard his name. I knew he was great at the game. I didn't know what kind of game it was going to be um, going in. I'd never interacted with Manny before or seen any content with him really. So uh, that was actually a really good experience. So after the game, I just asked him really directly. I was like, what do you think I could have done better? Um, and he talked me through like what his perspective was, asked me some questions. And uh, that was pretty nice because he had a pretty good different, a very different perspective than I did on what went wrong. Um, so for that game in particular, I think having feedback from people that think differently than you about the game and differently, not in a way that's wrong, is really good and uh, and healthy for you to get better. Um, yeah, I think I, I learned a lot up here from talking to Danny, who plays a different game of 40K than I do. So do you uh, well, hopefully um, this guy who's sitting across from me right now, he uh, he hasn't won a game this year, but I think he might know something about the game. That's so maybe he'll so much give some good, uh, good feedback in part <laughs> two here. But uh, man, Wallace, thanks for joining us. I look forward to hearing what you have to say during the Brad hour and uh, we'll jump over to that now. Kaboom. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have The Art of War Vanilla Kiwi with the very Kiwi, Steve Joel, and the Boy King, John Legend Lennon, one of those famous people names. And we also have the very patriotic Art of War Down Under with the now very, very American Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you did not know you loved until you tried it. Thanks for listening. Check us out for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 